My name is Derek Weyrush. I'm the president and CEO of Palladium One Mining. Palladium One is an exploration stage company with two key projects, one in Finland, which is polymetallic and palladium dominant, and a high-grade nickel sulfide project in Ontario, Canada. Derek, good to see you. I um, appreciate you coming back on. We did a technical session with you a few weeks ago. That was great, really interesting um, for us. It kind of made us think perhaps there's a little bit more we need to try and understand about palladium. So I think we're going to shoot today. Uh, you very kindly agreed to help us understand the palladium market just that little bit uh, more, certainly in, in the context of uh, Russian sanctions um, being applied to various commodities. We're wondering how it plays out in the palladium market. So what's your take of, of, the, of the current market? Well, obviously, uh, we're going to see continuation of extreme volatility for the foreseeable future. You know, what's really interesting about the palladium market is it's only about a, a 7 million ounce uh, mine production profile. So it's actually quite small. And just under 40% of that comes from Russia and is obviously at risk of uh, sanctions. But there's another uh, roughly 40% that comes from South Africa, another challenged jurisdiction. So the whole issue about security of supply is um, a very hot topic, and we've seen that translate into the, uh, the commodity price. So, but, but how do we as investors um, think about this? Because you, you know, you and the board must be talking extensively. I'm trying to understand what's going on out there. Russian sanctions not in place yet, but mm -hmm. as we've seen elsewhere, you know, the 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 uh, NATO blocs, the the UN, and even the US uh, have not feared to tread where some thought they wouldn't, which is you know, cutting off um, uh, you know the the gas component. Um, same with the oil. Um, are you, are you fearful that Russia will be turned off or are you think actually that would be a fantastic opportunity for us? How do you, how do you view it? Well, realistically, we're not in, uh, in production just yet. And uh, I don't foresee that they're actually going to turn off the supply simply because we need the palladium to put new vehicles on the road. You know, the palladium for the most part is used in the automotive uh, catalytic converter uh, for the gas engine. Roughly 140% of global mine supply goes into that industry. So if you turn off a huge or 40% of the supply, how are you going to meet the environmental standards that are required to put uh, vehicles on the road? So I'm, I'm not 100% sure that we're going to see the, uh, the supply cut off uh, until there's alternate sources of supply. So, but do you think it's just a case of the, the, the molecules will head east as opposed to west? Um, and China will, will, will buy up the deficit, buy, buy up the um, palladium at a discount, and they'll be the main beneficiaries of these. Um, or do you think, they, if there were sanctions, that they would eventually, that the product would find its way into market somehow? Yeah, I think there's risk that the product will find its way into market somehow. And it really is going to come down to how much the, the large automotive companies want to track the sources of supply. You know, we've seen it in terms of cobalt and all sorts of concerns with uh, the, the production coming out of the DRC and the various labor standards and whatnot. And there's look through... Uh, they're looking through the supply chain that has gone on there. Well, I see the same thing here. So it's just to reallocate and start selling the uh, the metal into, for example, China. Maybe that will work, but at some point in time, perhaps uh, the large automotive companies are going to say, "Well, maybe we don't want uh, our catalytic converters coming from that support so that source." But uh, you know, we're speculating right now in terms of how this is going to roll out, and I think. 
what we've been talking about at Palladium One is that we need to get supply from safe and secure jurisdictions that have a good rule of law. We need to, to build mines that are Palladium dominant. Given most of the uh, palladium that's supplied globally is as a byproduct, right? Ninety percent is a by- byproduct of nickel and uh, platinum mining. Only ten percent is a primary supply. So it, it's a very nuanced situation in a, a challenging market. This is just the latest salvo that is disrupting the uh, the PG space. And yeah, that's an interesting point. I think we, we talked about that before, and it, it, it's good to, good to remind us of it. Um, let's just kind of just stick with the kind of jurisdictional component just for a little bit longer, um, sure. which is we've, we've spoken to a couple of groups who've been involved with, uh, I know this is slightly out of the, the, the realm, but we're, we're talking about automotive manufacturers broadly here. Um, mm-hmm. They're part of the uh, European Battery Alliance for the, for the kind of EV side of the automotive production. And they're saying right. that the governments are actually working more efficiently now in the sense that they're doing some joined up thinking, not just in mm-hmm. terms of this sort of ra- random, you know, unassociated um, grants and, um, you know, tariffs or or, 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 other ways that they can, they can affect a business's ability to perform economically. Um, but they, they're trying to get all the, the different, um, miners, the different producers to actually talk to each other and do things in a much mm-hmm. more coordinated, coordinated way. Obviously, again, coming, so come back to this kind of, um, obvious, um, you know, issue, issue with, with uh, Russia and Ukraine. Jurisdictional risk is coming, is much better understood, much better defined in a, in a way that I don't think it was four weeks ago. You know, anything could go wrong. And I think, the fact that these European countries are coming together and working a bit harder. What's that, what's that do for, or are you seeing that in, in Finland with your, with your project yet? Or do you, do you expect to see more of that as a result of what's been going on? Well, I think you can make a, a broad uh, stroke statement and talk about the EU being um, ahead of the curve with regards to coordinated efforts to secure supply uh, within the EU, obviously with Finland being part of the EU and a mining friendly jurisdiction. I believe they have 45 active mines in, in the country right now. They're generally supportive of mining in any event, but now there's more of a coordinated effort. And certainly they're looking at uh, battery plants as well and full life cycle uh, accounting and recycling, et cetera. So um, a- absolutely that is uh, picking up and I think bodes well for the metals that we're talking about. Right. And What's, again, but how do, how do you play that as a company? And so, therefore, how do, how do we? Uh, what are the optics for us um, as investors look, look, looking in? In terms of, do you think that there's going to be an accelerated time frame as a result of what's going on? Do you think that some of the red tape is going to be removed, or is it there's no corners to be cut and it, it'll be business as usual? No, I, I don't think there's going to be corners to cut. I think uh, dealing in a mature Western environment, you have to use best available techniques. The focal point is definitely on environmental stewardship, and that's part of the green revolution in any event. So uh, any proponent of a project um, is going to need to do things properly. I don't see red tape being um, cut down. But I, what I do suspect is going to happen is that there's going to be accelerated timeframes for uh, making decisions. If something previously took, let's call it six months to make a decision on an issue, perhaps additional efforts are going to be put in place to have it happen in three months. What's, what's, what's your take then? Because you know, I, I, what I'm kind of you know, cognizant of is that people, are kind of countries, companies, 
are going to have to be just that little bit more nimble because the markets are feeling a little mm -hmm. fractious at the moment. Um, there's some uh, very erratic behavior by some commodities. We've seen it in nickel. We'll talk about your nickel project in, in, in a second. Um, mm -hmm. and, and as a kind of a consequence of that, I, I just wonder um, what, are, what are the bumps along the road that you're going to have to overcome? Um, is it over and above the, G, you know, the normal um, G course of, of, of building a mining company? Are there other things that now concern you um, as a result? No, actually, I think this whole situation, if we're talking about Russia, Ukraine specifically, plays into what we've been talking about for the last three years with, uh, with the company, that jurisdiction matters, right? And having a straightforward project where you can have you know, very robust environmental stewardship dealing with uh, communities in, in the appropriate way that are affected by your activities um, you know, remains highly important and highly relevant. So I, I don't really see the um, perhaps or the hopefully shorter term influence of the volatility that we're seeing due to Russia, Ukraine, affecting the longer term stance that uh, countries and, and society generally wants good stewardship. So we're going to have to go down that path. I see this more of a situation where we're going to be able to accelerate activities. Certainly, like you, you mentioned nickel a second ago, you know, there's all been all sorts of discussion. You've had other people uh, that you've talked to as well, talking about these robust demand curves for sulfide nickel projects. And, you know, governments and industry are talking about, you know, let's get all this battery uh, electric um, activity going, build gigafactories, et cetera, et cetera. Where the conversation I think has been missing is what are the governments doing to accelerate development of projects to provide the raw materials for these um, activities? And I think that's where the change is going to occur. So whether it's on the nickel side or even on the palladium side, you know, they want to give security to industry that yes, you can get the materials you need to put your products on the road. Yeah, and I, th I think the, the European Battery Alliance talks about stuff like that. Talked about priority projects where um, you know monies could be made available that um, some of, some of the processes around permitting could happen um, alongside of each other rather rather than a linear fashion. That, 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 exactly right. So I think that those things will definitely um, definitely help. But and just, again, coming back to this sort of question around sort of agility and, and being and being nimble and reacting to. You know, learnings like you know what we're seeing in the market at the moment. Substitution. Now, we 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 may have mm -hmm. briefly touched upon you know on this in the past, but substitution is is a very real thing in the automotive industry when they feel that they can't get as um, the, they don't have the confidence about their supply chain you know out in the next twenty years. It's hard to design in or out. Uh, <laughs> in the automotive industry, but we've seen exactly. it with nickel. Do you think we'll see it with palladium? And then, and what do you think the knock-on effect could could be? Well, I think part of the substitution discussion, as it relates to palladium specifically in the catalytic converter, is that because of the shocks that the market has had since 2014, when the South Africans had the strikes and started to cause a huge escalation in the price of palladium, um, has, has caused the the spot price to increase year over year. So the conversation is, well, why not replace the palladium with cheaper platinum in the gas side uh, catalytic converter? The reality is, as you pointed, it's not as easily done. The, the chemical properties of palladium and platinum are different. Uh, palladium performs much, much better. And it's not just that uh, particular element. You're also dealing with rhodium. 
So while you could substitute a palladium-based uh, catalytic converter for one that's platinum, you're also going to be bringing along more loading of platinum, and you're also going to be bringing in a very expensive rhodium, which I think today is trading um, you know, incredibly high levels. So that's going to decrease that uh, cost differential and also affect the efficacy of the, uh, the unit itself. One of the very interesting things that's taken place with the more stringent regulation standards that have come about over the last 10 years is this concept of real driving emission standards. And that requires the catalytic converter to perform as new 10 years into life cycle. And when you're using uh, platinum, for example, it has a tendency to center and doesn't have the same lifespan if uh, it gets too hot. So there's some, there, I think there's some real technical issues that can be addressed. Certainly there can be sub, sub, some substitution, but how far it's going to go uh, is, is a question. And as you also point out, redesigning the car. Now you may have to relocate a catalytic converter farther away from the engine if you're going to use platinum so that it doesn't get the same heat. Now I've got to redesign and tooling. Do they want to spend the R&D money on redesigning the, uh, the floor of the car? Or do other things. It's it's kind of interesting conversation that's going on around when, with, with automotives at the moment. It's obviously it's, it's a huge primary industry, so secondary industry, I should say, um, with lots of lots of competition, uh, and it's a very and it's a very different industry, um, you know, since Tesla has come along uh, as as well. So battery thematic, a big part of this, and the and all the you know the automotive companies are saying, right, we need uh, provenance. Of the materials coming in here, we need to be able to track it and and validate that, um, and we need to be able to have a kind of as part of the EU taxonomy, a kind of a huge portion of that recycled eventually. You know, when when that all kind right. of kicks in seven years time, can you can you talk that same game when you're going around and talking to funds about your ESG uh, credentials or investors about ESG credentials? Can you talk that same game yet? Will you will Palladium producers ever be able to talk that game? Oh, I, I think they absolutely need to be talking that game. Again, with 80% of it coming from Russia and South Africa, some relatively challenged jurisdictions compared to a European Union sourced product, that's absolutely something to, uh, to be talking about and focusing in on. And, you know, there's other stresses as well when we're just talking about security of supply. It's not necessarily just the sanctions that might come on Russia, but, you know, we've had lots of conversation over the last five years or so about the lack of reinvestment into the South African mines. And there's an expectations of lower production. Well, you know, that's, that's going to have a, a, a problem. We've already got 10 years of supply deficit as it relates to uh, palladium in the market. So I think it just can exacerbate the, the whole issue. And so talking about, as you say, the providence of supply, security of jurisdiction are uh, you know, some of the key areas that, uh, that we focus in on when talking to, uh, to investors. Okay, so you've got, you, I, I'm going to guess that you'd argue the case that primary producers are a very important part of future um, supply. But um, as you mentioned, a, a Huge part of this is, comes as a, a byproduct. So, are you in any way able to kind of control, not control? Are you able to predict and therefore work out how you you scale yourself in that market when when you've got you know 
these other companies producing as a byproduct and perhaps in a very meaningful way don't really mind what price they sell at. But how does that affect your ability to you know, forecast your own business needs and funding? Yeah, so the, yeah, the existing producers, they're constrained from increasing their activities to supply more palladium because it's going to affect their primary products. There's a huge constraint there on the supply side of things. And because of that, as we see increasing demand due to regulation, or changing buying patterns, the material has to come from somewhere. So we need some new mines uh, to be developed. And we're trying to suggest, hey, we've got a pretty good one in, in, in a good jurisdiction. You know, another nuance, just to throw it out there for you, is that we've seen, you know, a lot of conversation with governments and automakers uh, saying we're going to go, you know, purely electric by such and such a date. Uh, the more sophisticated parties that we talk to in terms of uh, institutions, they appreciate the supply and demand fundamentals for not just the, uh, the nickel and the, the palladium that we're talking about, but also the copper and the lack of charging infrastructure and you know, the loading of these metals that would be required in, in one uh, vehicle. So you know, they're not necessarily buying into, and you're starting to see articles where people are questioning the, um, the validity of the, uh, of the forecasts. So what we do think is going to happen, or what I think is going to happen, is we're going to see the hybrid vehicle, which still has a very, very small share of the market, grow quicker, perhaps, than the pure electric vehicle. Well, that hybrid vehicle still uses an internal combustion engine. And because it operates differently, it actually has more loading than you would in a conventional vehicle. And what we've seen in, out of China is two to two and a half times the PGs are going into the catalytic converter for the, the hybrid electric versus the conventional. So that's actually positive for demand and could cause that much more disruption should that uh, uh, the transportation mode uh, continue to accelerate its uh, sales. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that the the, the balance of it, because you, you've got the automotive manufacturers talking about, we will move entirely to electric by year, whatever they, they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. claiming. And I think we, what we've seen is in some some other spaces is um, yes we, we we believe we understand the, the the demand based on 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 things like the automotive manufacturers telling us what they need and and other well established industries um, uh, you know along that time frame too but it's the supply thing that worries me most because you we, you will have existing producers and they will be. Maybe running running down resources that they have, reserves that they that they've got. Exactly. You'll also have developers claiming to be able to produce at X rate, but then not. And mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at things specifically the uranium um, sector, and we're looking back at some data from, correctly, two thousand and sixteen. They they actually were producing at nine percent of forecast. Nine percent. Right, uh, kind of, kind of an, an interesting. So I think that's why some of the industry bodies kind of look at you know the, 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 whatever their relevant commodity that they're into and discount it by a large percentage because the companies are talking it up because they need to, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's well understood. So you know, what, what's what's your sense of the s- supply part of that equation for palladium, given the, the the bulk of it is this is this kind of byproduct component, and there aren't that many new pure play palladium producers. Well, that's, that's exactly it. There aren't that many pure play palladium producers or primary product being palladium. They just don't exist. And, you know, these uh, palladium tends to be in a polymetallic situation where you've got a number of metals just as we do. 
And as I said earlier, it's often a byproduct of uh, nickel mining, sulfide nickel mining. Well, we're not seeing additional sulfide nickel projects coming online either, right? And that's 40% of the supply. You know, we've got the, uh, the palladium or rather the platinum miners as well, where again, palladium is a, is a byproduct, but we're not seeing a lot of new supply on the platinum side. Certainly there is some uh, coming out of uh, Africa, but uh, it doesn't appear to be enough to meet the, uh, the deficits that we've seen. And to your point about you know, metals generally, we can, we can touch on copper as well. You know, some of the massive mines that have been going for years in uh, Chile, you know, they're getting deeper, more expensive, grade is going lower. There's a replacement of uh, mines that's needed, new discoveries are needed. And you know, who's building billion and $5 billion projects right now? Not very many people. Not very many people indeed. Well, like, well let's, let's um, kind of move from Palladium and your, your LKNKS um, projects up there. And perhaps, you, you know, so we did a technical um, session with you. I'll put the link below because I think it was really insightful. Um, let's move over to Canada and talk copper mm-hmm. and nickel over at Tyco. Obviously, <laughs> very topical for the last two weeks there. Uh, LME. Uh, has some issues. Is that fair to say around nickel? It's been interesting to sit on the sidelines and watch this one. It's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a gong show. Yeah, yeah. I, I think something something needs to change. I know they they've put some um, limits on. I think fifteen. They raised it to fifteen percent limit. On, uh, which is but they're still tripping them. Yeah, I know. It lasts about two hours. Uh, so the whole thing is just not not quite. Working and obviously, I think a big bet has been placed um, by a certain Chinese individual over at right. Chen Um and I think he's been helped out a little bit. And I think the the shorter is perhaps um, feeling a little bit aggr- aggrieved at the aggrieved at the uh, sorry. There's, there's, a, there's a group of people who perhaps feel a little bit aggrieved that they're not getting the same level of of, of help. Let's sort of put it like that. Um, so. With, with that, with that situation, obviously it's kind of uh, the nickel prices went nuts. I think they've come come back down something reasonable, somewhere between the sort of thirty to sixty thousand range, had, having been been over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. at one point. Um, the, the 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 kind of again the supply demand fundamentals um, are you know I think well well understood there. We need all of the above. Um, again, does that help you go and raise conversations like that? Help you raise money? Does it bring your project Tyco? You know, to the fore, does does your thinking change? I mean, again, I just I just I'm trying to understand how boards think, and therefore, you know, maybe how uh, retail investors should react. So, what, what was your take on all of that in terms of your project and what you do? Well, I would say it solidifies our resolve and the direction, the strategy we've had more so than anything else. You know, the, it's important to realize that not all nickel is the same. You know, you've got the laterite source nickel and you've got the sulfide. If you're going to process laterite nickel, it's not as uh, environmentally friendly. It produces multiples of the uh, carbon intensity for each ton of, uh, of nickel produced. And there's all sorts of uh, rather questionable environmental practices that take place in the regions where it's produced. So when you're looking at the nickel market, you know, the, the annual market is roughly 2.5 million tons a year of which only about eight or 900,000 is actually sulfide nickel sourced. So, you know, having that is really important. We have that with our Tyco project, it's sulfide sourced. Um, It is what people want for the class one nickel. 
because in a class one nickel being what uh, you would use in the, uh, the batteries, it doesn't have the contaminants. So um, yeah, it, it bodes very well, this whole situation for what we have at Tyco. And we also have uh, nickel and copper credits in, in Finland as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's helping us on both sides of the, uh, of the equation. Yeah, I, I think it's quite interesting because the, the whole Russia component comes back into this again. Again, sanctions talks about not quite yet happening, but if, if the numbers, using your numbers, okay, 2.5 million tons per uh, year, I think the numbers sort of um, about 1.5 of that is China, Indonesia, Chindonesia. Sure. Um, of the remaining 1 million, 25% of that is Russia. Norilsk being, yeah. I think they're, they've got a big uh, operation in Finland, have they not? Well, look, Russia is the number one supplier of refined nickel to the LME. You know, the, the gentleman in his company is doing all the shorting. He can't, he's not just supplying um, refined nickel. He's doing nickel pig iron or NPI or that. So, yeah, this is a huge issue where you've got the, the global number one supplier to the LME that's at risk of a sanction. And Russia generally is the third largest nickel supplier globally as well. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of stresses here and could be a tremendous amount of unintended consequences, which brings us back to we need um, sources of supply in jurisdictions with, which have a good rule of law and are willing to accelerate uh, permitting activities to uh, allow supply to come onto the market. But do you, but do you, do you get any more inbound calls as a result of something like, obviously, what was going on with the LME? Uh, as you described that, not many people understand it. The, the, the MPI component coming out of China, uh, Indonesia predominantly, but in China uh, by association, because it's pretty much owned by them. Um, and then the, the type of and purity of the of nickel, whether it be from from sulfides or or, or, or maybe even matte, I think comes slightly into the equation here. Um, mm -hmm. Does that does that help people understand the market a little bit more and just get that little bit more concerned about supply into the OEM thematic? Because supply chains are, you know, long and long and arduous. You know, the the, the buyers are out there. Everywhere trying to find the you know the the cobalts, the coppers, the the nickels, the the mm -hmm. graphites, the you, you name it, right? They they are struggling here. Um, what what again? What does that do for inbound for someone like you, where you've got you know so early days in in that sense? But people must recognise that they need to kind of get these sulphide projects moving um, quicker. They need to tie them up. We've seen lots of a few OEMs kind of step into the breach and. Not necessarily go down, no, go go upstream in terms of becoming miners, but um, you know, offtake agreements get signed a little bit earlier. Are you? Is that part of your thinking that you want to start those types of conversations? Yeah, you know, we had the big discovery, this, this ridiculously high grade discovery, about a year ago, and it certainly changed the complexion of the inbound calls we had, um, and they they accelerated quite dramatically from both retail institutional investors. What's happened over the last couple of weeks is we've had even more calls. You know, I just uh, concluded a, a conference uh, yesterday, late afternoon. It was a three-day conference with uh, you know one of these speed dating sessions where you're talking to a different uh, institutional investor every 30 minutes. And you know, our dance card was more than full. It was absolutely incredible. And um, there's so much interest in the metals that we're doing that I've got about 15 meetings that I have to take outside of the conference. So yes, the, the attention, the awareness has been uh, increased quite dramatically. 
uh, with the recent activities in uh, in Europe uh, on the back of something that was already uh, quite active. And, and to your point about uh, having automotive firms engaged in uh, conversations, uh, absolutely. We've seen that over the last nine months where uh, firms are starting to uh, request meetings and get an understanding of what the pipeline is and what the uh, supply cycle may or may not look like going forward. Right. Well, there we go. I, there's a half hour up. I thought we'd have a romp through that because I, I, I don't think many people understand the kind of the Palladium um, market uh, enough. And, you know, um, I thought that was a useful to kind of get that macro. Um, picked a few things up along the way there, and I'm, I'm very interested to see what's happening with your with your copper nickel project, uh, Tyco over over in Canada. I, I suspected that might attract a, attract a few <laughs> few inbounds after the we'll LME, LME drill permits debacle. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's let come back on um, soon, and we we can, t- we can get into kind of what's going on at the company. Um, so, with, I mean, just on that dr- drill permits, that's applied for. What's the kind of wait time? Well, you're, in theory, you're supposed to have your permits in three months. We're at the eight-month mark, so it should be getting uh, closer for all the new zones in uh, the Tyco project uh, in Ontario. And we will hopefully be uh, publishing a resource very shortly with regards to uh, Finland and our Palladium project there. Good, man. Okay, well, come back on and tell us all about it. Um, and thank you very much for the education today. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. Bye-bye.